Greetings and salutations, dear listeners, and welcome to the Cult Spark Podcast. This is a special mini-cast edition of the show, and we're going to spend the next 30 minutes or so talking about nothing but Captain America Civil War, the 13th installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which opened here in the States this past Friday. My name is Bob Taylor. I'm joined tonight by my usual partner in crime, Stu Smith. We're going to jump right into this, but quickly before we do, I do want to warn everyone listening that this show will be chock full of spoilers. So if for some reason you haven't seen the movie yet, save this podcast, bookmark it, and come back to it after you've watched Captain America Civil War. Stu, in my print review of Civil War, which everyone can read at cultspark.com, I gave the film four and a half stars out of five and said that while not it, while it may not be Marvel's best movie, which as far as I'm concerned, that honor still belongs to Guardians of the Galaxy, it is the best proof of concept for Marvel's shared universe plans so far. Would you call that a fair assessment? Yeah, I'd say that that's probably fair. I I need to see it again before I can, you know, definitively, quote unquote, place it, you know, within my uh, perception of kind of a ranking, whatever you want to call it, uh, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But yeah, I mean, it's it's it is a it's a fantastic movie. It's the most comic booky. Like this is this is the movie out of anything that's come before that we've seen from the Marvel movies. This is the one that feels the closest to seeing a, a comic book really, really come to life. Right, and I kind of feel like I've thought that before or said that before, but then Marvel really keeps getting closer to giving us a living, breathing comic book on the movie screen. Right, well, I mean, there were portions of Age of Ultron where that felt really true, uh, but inconsistently so. Like, this really – this feels that way from beginning to end because, you know, you've got – you know, you've got these secondary characters that kind of come in and out of the movie, uh, like with Spider-Man. And then you've got, you know, th- this is really heavy on, you know, on kind of the interpersonal drama, which Marvel comics have always been really big on. Uh, and none of the none of the previous movies have really ever uh, gotten into that. You know, so, I mean, this this really and truly feels like, you know, these char- multiple characters that are perfectly comfortable in their own titles now easily inhabiting this shared space. Like it's not just, Oh, they're popping up and Hey, here's a cameo from so-and-so or here, you know, we're name dropping this person uh, or this location. Like it really feels like they really are all inhabiting uh, the same shared space. Well, it's like, you know, the movie opens up with a battle scene that's almost like, you know, that old, um, sort of James Bond, Indiana Jones trick where you're opening up with a climax for a movie you didn't see. But instead of some new villain, it's just Crossbones from the last movie, this guy who exists in this universe. So let's right. use – and, you know, in the comics it would be, oh, Crossbones from 25 issues ago. But here it's, oh, from, right. you, from you four waiting, movies ago. So You keep waiting for the little asterisk, <laughs> right. you know, with the editor's note to kind of show up or something. See issue 15, editor. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, but he's got the new costume and it's yeah. Yeah, it feels like a living comic book. Yeah, exactly. So you say you need to see it again before you rank it. But that yeah. no, that's, that's bullshit. You can't do that. What's your gut <laughs> say right now? Where does your because right now I'm putting it at two. I'm putting it at ranking the MCU movies. It goes Guardians and then this. See, me. OK, here's, here's and the that thing. could shift. That could shift. But that's where I'm at right now. I want to say that it's tied with Guardians. 
uh, which may be achieved, but I don't care. It's my ranking. You know, deal right. with it. Wait a minute. Didn't you have uh, Winter Soldier tied with Guardians before? I did. And this <laughs> bump, It's a three-way bump, tie now? This No, no, no. Oh, this right. bumped Winter Soldier down to two. Okay. But see, here's the thing. Like, I think Guardians is probably the best standalone movie right. out of the MCU. Because Civil War doesn't can't really exist and wouldn't exist and wouldn't work without all of that legwork uh, coming before it. And right. I, I think just in terms of like raw thrills, uh, Civil War beats out Guardians of the Galaxy. You're uh, right that even though Guardians has Thanos and an, and an Infinity Stone in it and stuff, it's very much a standalone movie in the context yeah. of the MCU. I mean, like it, it's it tells this you know this open and closed. You know, arc and you know, everything's more or less resolved pretty much at the end of it. Uh, you know, and and then obviously, and then everybody kind of goes off goes off along their way for more adventures. But you know, it's it, it is its closed thing. I mean, if it hadn't been, you know, that big of a a hit, you know, and Marvel's like, yeah, we can't really do any more of these because this just just didn't do what we wanted. It'd be fine. I mean, you you know, it would stand alone uh, on its own two feet. And maybe that's part of why, to me, it's still a better movie because it does work as a complete movie. Where right, Civil exactly. War is largely an issue of a comic book. It's a chapter between right, things exactly. that happened before and things that are going to happen. It's still, they still do a pretty good job of making it feel like it, you know, it's a, a chapter, but one that has a beginning, middle and an end and feels like it's one piece. Civil well, war does to right. an extent, to an extent feel like that, but not like, not like a standalone piece like guardians would. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and again, I think, Kind of like I said, just in terms of raw thrills, because there is nothing uh, in Guardians that is, you know, that that tickled me just the right way as seeing Spider-Man in this. And I mean, like I, Black Panther just, oh, my God, blows the doors off this thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's nothing that, that tickled the long the longtime geek in me uh, the way that stuff like that did uh, that, you know, in Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, it sounds like we're both, at least at the moment, without seeing it again, it sounds like we're both putting it at least in the top two. So that's pretty, oh, yeah, that per, that's pretty high easily. and goes to show how much we like this movie. I mean, this is – it's a fantastic movie. Well, and it, it does it, – it's so – it's great because, I, you know, I would even say that it, it, it manages to stand on its own because, I mean, the, the stakes in this – like the characters are being built from built up from uh, from previous films and stuff like that, but the arcs in this are personal. Yes, I mean th- this is it, it's kind of amazing that you could say here's here's a movie where a dozen or so heroes all fight each other in some of the best action you've seen in a Marvel film, but it's not about that. It's not. It's I mean it builds to that, but it's not about that. Th- there is a. F- a surprising amount of introspective and character driven stuff that goes on in this movie. Right. It's, it's interesting because, you know, you would think, Oh, well, you know, they spent all these movies building up to this so that they, you know, so that you can have this big fight and you can actually know who everyone is and all that kind of stuff. When really, you know, they had all these movies and built up to this so that you could understand everyone's motivation so well in doing this because nobody like neither Steve nor Tony, really acts rationally in this movie at all. Uh, this this is purely emotionally driven on both sides. And I think that the, I, th- I think that's fascinating, you know, that you would do that in 
you know, in a blockbuster like this, that you would have it have the stakes be so uh, emotional in that way, which is which is great. I think it's really strong in giving both characters a solid viewpoint that you can find yourself agreeing with. And some of that is is helped by the fact that it's built on upon the previous movies. Like I had a, a friend and again, we're getting into super spoiler territory here. But I had a friend of mine remark that, uh, you, you know, you kind of got to be Team Iron Man at the end that I guess he was even though he was brainwashed, if Bucky would have killed my parents, I would have, you know, I would have wanted blood, too. I would have been going after him. And it's like, you know what, that I can kind of see that argument. And the funny thing is, is if this was a standalone movie, that would be the only argument because we would have no context of Bucky right. rather than being. But the fact is, is, you know, a couple of days after I saw this movie, Captain America, First Avengers on FX and I'm just rewatching it as I go to bed at night. And you see those early scenes with Steve and Bucky before Steve's even transformed. And there's this whole history with those two and, and that character specifically of Bucky. So that like, yeah, sure. You're going to hate the guy that kills Iron Man's parents, but the, but the way the shared universe works, we've really developed an attachment between the friendship of Steve and Bucky. So we don't, so we don't want that to happen. We want Bucky to be pr- protected. And, well, like he, you, and know, you he can't was... get that without this big shared universe. You can't, you can't build that up and have both sides work in a single movie. I don't think. Right. Well, you know, even, even if you don't find yourself necessarily too attached to Bucky himself, because I mean, he's even in his own movie in the winter soldier, he's, you know, he's not in it that much. Right. Um, it's more you know, about so, how Steve feels about him. Right. Exactly. So you know, even if you, even if you, the viewer, don't have the attachment to Steve or to Bucky, you absolutely buy, you know, Steve's attachment to him, and you, you know, you totally understand where he's coming from. It's like he just lost the love of his life, who was already kind of lost to him anyway, and you know, now he's about to lose his best friend, who was literally all he had. So you know, it's it's. Right, and again, I just think it's made all the more effective because what we've where we where these characters started in the earlier films and what we've right. seen them go through. Speaking of which, and and Halo, Haley Atwell doesn't even appear in this movie except for like the cardboard picture at her funeral. But man, I was sad. Yeah, and it's, Peggy it's, dies. Like ah, oh, Peggy, no. And I realize she's like 101 or whatever by this point. Right. But I there. I'm not gonna say there were tears, but I was a little choked up, Stu. Well, you know, again, because of the whole shared thing, I mean, with everything with Agent Carter and, you know, really getting to know. Right. And this is a character, character who doesn't that. even appear in this movie. Right. Yeah. Sir not appearing in this film, um, you know, just makes you totally sad. But, yeah, no, it's and again, it's like it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work. And that, and again, it's it's just it's amazing that, you know, all of the buildup is for the emotion, not for the action. Well, let me ask you this, Stu. Uh, I've read some differing of opinions on the ending. Some people like the sort of somewhat darker, more muted ending that this movie has. Sort of, some people have called it Empire Strikes Back-esque. Uh, while others have claimed that it's really not dark or seismic enough, and that maybe one of the heroes should have died, and maybe Tony and Steve should have ended on even worse terms than they did. Where do you fall on that? Uh, I'm fine with the ending, uh, you know. It, in some ways, I'm kind of, I'm. Hmm. I stumped you. You didn't think no, I was going to be throwing no, no, the tough no, questions no, no, today. No, no, no. no. Yeah. This, I, it's not stumping me. I'm just trying to think of the best way to put this. Like, yeah. okay, we look. We know that they're not going. That they're that this rift is not going to stay there. Right. 
you know, we've got other Avengers movies to get to and, you know, the the uniting threat of, of Thanos and stuff like that. You know, this rift isn't going to I mean, it's going to get patched up, you know, so in some ways I, I'm kind of glad that they leaned away from going too dark just because it's like, come on, who are you fooling? Really? Right. Personally, um, I think it's just dark enough and maybe dark's not even the right word well i I think by the ending it's clear things have changed their relationship isn't what it once was and may never be again so it's kind of maybe not dark well and plus i mean you know tony started to change his mind you could you could tell that he like he realized well this isn't really what i signed up for this isn't what i thought it was going to be plus you know he (laughs) plus i think he starts to see uh, Steve's point with it, you know, so it's just, uh, no, I, I don't think it's, it's, uh, I don't think it necessarily uh, lacks a punch or that it needed to be darker or whatever. I think it's fine. It's, I, I thought it worked. Yeah. Um, I, thought it worked I, I, I actually thought it had the ending that age of Ultron should have had. I thought age of Ultron would had too much of a happy ending considering everything that happened in that movie and they just kind of all made up and forgot about the arguments they had at the end whereas this one it feels like the it's the arguments are going to and the differences that they've had are going to resonate through further films yeah that i mean that's definitely the impression that i uh walked away with you know thinking like this is you know this is the ending that should or maybe they were kind of going for but just either got cold feet at the, you know, at the very end for age of Ultron. So, uh, but yeah, definitely agreed on that point. So which new character worked better for you, Spider-Man or black Panther? Um, you know, it's a tie, I guess. I mean, like Spider-Man Everything's a tie with you, Stu Smith. It, it is. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to have to go black Panther. Okay. Uh, if I were forced to choose one, I think both were used remarkably well. Um, I, you know, both have me absolutely excited for, uh, you know, for their uh, solo movies. But if I if I had to pick one of those, like if they said, okay, you can either watch the Black Panther movie now, or you can watch Spider Man Homecoming right now, I I would pick Black Panther hands down. See, I would pick Homecoming, but that's only because I'm a bigger, lifelong Spider-Man fan. Although, well, and, and I think see, there's no doubt that Black Panther is more important to this film. Right. Well, like, in, in I mean, I technically I'm the same way. Like, I mean, I don't really have any experience in, in reading Black Panther comics or anything like that. I mean, this is the most that I've ever spent time with the character. Right. Like, I grew up, um, a, I grew up a Marvel kid. I didn't read Black Panther specifically, but you, re, he would cross over. You'd always see right, him pop yeah. up. Right, yeah. I mean, you so know, we, he, we, we, I read him, but I just was never super into his solo comics. Right. I mean, I knew, I knew almost nothing about him or his origin or, you know, powers or anything like that. I knew he had the vibranium suit, mm-hmm. and that's about it. Uh, and so I was just, I was blown away by, uh, you know, by this depiction of him, you know, by uh, Chadwick Boseman. Boseman uh, is fantastic. Oh, man. Okay. So, you know, I think you and I both kind of lamented uh, when he got the part instead of uh, Michael B. Jordan. Right. Not uh, that, and, and we're not insinuating Jordan was up for it, but just with. Right. You know, we, with, we were just like, oh, man. Jordan was kind of blowing up, and they brought Kugler on board, Ryan Kugler, who directed Creed, on board to direct. So it's just like, oh, why couldn't it be Michael B. Jordan? Right. But. 
you know, I'm I'm glad that that didn't happen. Like, I'm sure Jordan's depiction of the character would have been great because Jordan is a great actor. Uh, but he would have very much been a kid, right. I think. Mm-hmm. And Bozeman is just regal I, 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 in this movie. Like he has he has that that air of quiet authority that that. Uh, almost anyone else I don't think necessarily would have. The thing is, Bozeman just felt so perfect, there's no need to wonder how Jordan or anybody else would have done it. Right, exactly. Because I don't, just based on this movie and what I've read of Black Panther and what I know about Black Panther, you couldn't have done it any better. No, you really couldn't have. I mean, the suit was great. Everything was great. And the, you, you, you used the word regal, which I even used in my review. And, and that was stuff that I knew coming in from reading the old Marvel books, that he was part of this royal family of, of uh, Wakanda. And that... That they really were able to drive that point home with his character and make that a part of his personality. I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just you buy into the reality uh, of what he is uh, just so quickly. I mean, it's just it's just there from moment one. Uh, you get it, and it works. And he has a pretty nice arc in the film, where at first it's just really about vengeance, but then. Over the course of the movie, he develops into more of a uh, traditional hero. Right. And um, and then Spider-Man, I mean, I kind of agree. <laughs> I'm going to allow the tie here because they're both pretty <laughs> much note perfect in terms of this movie. Right. Uh, Spider-Man doesn't play as big a part in the film. And you can kind of even tell that once Marvel worked out the deal with Sony to share the character, that they kind of had to find ways to shoehorn him into the movie. Right. But like, you, you could take Spider-Man out of this movie. Nothing's going to change plot Right. Nothing's necessarily going to change. Uh, whereas if you take Black Panther out, you lose that really interesting dimension and arc to it. I said, I admitted online getting teary-eyed during the Spider-Man scenes, which I did. And this is because, again, <laughs> Spider-Man is my favorite comic book character, going back to when I was a child. And I have never been particularly happy with how he's turned out on the big screen. Raimi's Spider-Man movies, the only one that I really think is good is the second one. And even then, I have some problems with how the Peter Parker both Peter Parker and Spider-Man, how he's been adapted for the big screen. I was never, I never thought Raimi and McGuire quite nailed the character. And then, and then of course there were the Garfield web films, which I only saw the first one, which, (laughs) which I hated so much. I never felt the need to watch the second one. So my favorite superhero has pretty much been a disaster on the big screen. So to see him in this movie, and even though it's only the two scenes to see him just gotten so perfect and so right, it was just, it was just a joy. You know, I, I like two out of the three Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. And I like elements of, uh, you know, the first Andrew Garfield one, but yeah. And, and I, I don't think that they're, well, most of amazing Spider-Man is terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but I, I definitely, I definitely like uh, what the Raimi ones were going for. I like what they achieved. Uh, even if there's a lot of stuff that I would have done differently. Uh, but you know, there is, there is no reasonable argument that you can put up as to why this is in any way not the definitive Spider-Man. You just you just can't do it. There are a couple of things, and we can address a couple of these things heads on. First of all, I think, and I think the comics have proved this out, I think Spider-Man works better as a teenager, as 14, Agreed. 15, 16, the ultimate Spider-Man 
that my Brian Michael Bendis wrote is probably my favorite version of the character, and he sort of fell within that age. So you're, I think they understand that's the best point to put Spider-Man in in his life, especially since he's going, you know, going to be tumbling with all these other characters who are more in their 20s, 30s, 40s. So it makes sense to to make him so young. That was a really good decision. I also, I mean, Spider-Man should be excited to be Spider-Man, you know? Right. Peter Parker loves to be Spider-Man. He loves it. And I don't think that comes through all that well in any of the other movies, but it really comes through in that big airport fight scene in this one, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's just, he's, he's overwhelmed and amazed, uh, you know, and just so enthusiastic. He's happy. He's happy to be helping because that's what he thinks he's doing. Right. You know, which is, which is an interesting dynamic. I mean, you don't really ever get that impression from, you know, from anywhere else, just kind of in that, in this sort of specific way. And they were able to jam so many of his other personality traits in those two short scenes. Like in some of the old Spider-Man movies, I never thought enough was made out of how smart he's supposed to be. I mean, you you hear other characters talk about how smart he is, and he's going to classes and well, in but, in Amazing Spider-Man two, he literally Google's how batteries work. Yeah, so exactly. Which is so, which is like, come on. Right, but I mean, even in those short scenes in this movie, I mean, you see he's hacking like an old Apple computer or something, and he's fascinated by how Falcon's tech works and he's built his web shooters which impresses even tony right yeah even though it's these two short scenes they're they they jam so much in and this is uh kurt larson who hosts the stay cool geek podcast which he was nice to have me co-host that with him last week um he's got he's got his civil war podcast up and he talks a little bit about how he thinks that people might be going a little too nuts for spidey based on what's based on just two short scenes in the movie, which I actually think is a fair point, but it's, it's just, they make, I, I mean, there, again, there are parts of that character that earlier entire movies just glossed over that they just drill during these two scenes. I mean, you even see, I mean, we, we haven't seen him with anybody as a, his own age in his school, any of his classmates, but just in that scene with Tony and Aunt May, you get a sense of sort of how uncomfortable he can be and socially awkward, no, absolutely. I mean, everything about, you know, Peter, the because ultimately, I mean, he's still he's still just this awkward kid and he's a kid. Uh, you know, and that that's one thing that never comes across. You can see he's in the, in the other in the other two movies is that he's not because you have 30 year olds playing, you know, right. <laughs> playing Peter Parker right. in high school, you know, but it, you really get the sense of what it's like to be. That kid with this overwhelming power, just trying, just trying to make his way through and figure out what it is that he has to well, do. They have like that line about how he can't go to Germany because he has homework to do, and he's paranoid about you know his aunt finding out that he's Spider-Man, and just all these little bullet points that they're able to nail in with those scenes. Again, it's a better representation of the character than I've ever seen on screen. It is. No, absolutely, absolutely. So again, I. I I think Kurt's point is sound that let's see how homecoming is. I, I, I agree that I don't think this necessarily means for certain that homecoming is going to be a five star perfect Spider-Man movie, but I just think it's a good indicator. They're going in the right direction. Well, I mean, there are plenty of other variables that they can screw up, be it, of course, you know, be it a villain or Mary Jane or, right. you know, what, whatever else. But, you know, this, this just shows that, these that these writers love and understand the character uh, and that Marvel has a very clear idea 
of a what the character needs to be and b how they're going to handle them going forward and this is a big reason why sort of the marvel machine is so important and having a guy like kevin feige at the top because you say these writers but spider-man homecoming is going to have different writers than the people who wrote this movie right you have to assume that feige's guiding hand is going to come down and make sure that everything that worked about spidey and civil war is going to carry over yeah so who else, who would be your other MVPs of the movie that we haven't talked about, Stu? Uh, hmm. I, you know, I, I would I would watch as many scenes of Bucky and Falcon just bitching at each other and busting each other's balls. Them in the back as, of the as, car. Are they in the back of the car, one of them sitting in front well, of the other one? Uh, Fal- Falcon's in the front passenger seat yeah. and Bucky's in the back. Good stuff. Uh, in that VW Bug. Yeah. And I mean, just just those two little bits. The bit where can you move your seat? No. <laughs> and then you know they're you know they're knowing smile and nod after Steve you know finally gets a kiss uh, <laughs> was great. I mean that was just great. And then you know just they're griping during uh, you know during the airport fight and just everything else. I mean it's they make for a great uh, a great little um, unexpected and, duo. And again, it's Steve's original best friend and steve's new best friend and and right. because of the context of all these films we can play that off they can play right that off someone each someone other. someone pointed out best it's like you know bucky and falcon is like when your best friend from high school will meet your best friend from college right uh yeah which is great i think that that's absolutely dead and on. again it's not like it's a ton of screen time but it's just really funny clever yeah. little asides and they do uh, that. They do that a lot in this movie. Well, they'll they'll take two characters and just pit them off against each other in some way. If only, even if they're fighting, right. and if only for a minute. But who else? I finally like Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. Oh, we went into this online a little bit. Hawkeye is good in Age of Ultron, dude. I, yeah, I he okay. He's better. <laughs> well, but I just listen, it's it's hard for me to put my finger on. Like uh, okay. it's just it's just this kind of intangible quality uh, with him in this, and I think some of it's because he's just like, you know, screw it, dude. I'm just, I retirement sucks. I got to get back in action. I, I think it's just kind of like the attitude with which he's written, like he's less uptight. Yeah, you know. He, I mean, look in the Avengers, in the first Avengers, he's brainwashed through most of the film. Right. So, so I, mean, I mean, even Joss Whedon admitted that. He Hawkeye didn't really get a fair shake in that movie since you only right. really saw him during the final act. Age of Ultron, I I think, he, and obviously, I mean, I think me and you are on the same page with Age of Ultron, where we both marginally like it, think it's a good movie, I, but but has some issues. The the more distance I get from you know my first viewing, because I've watched it a couple times since then, uh, and you know, and I like, I enjoy it more, just kind of you know on its you know on its own. You know, it's it's definitely got a lot of problems, but uh, you know, I enjoy it. I it have does. fun. With but it. my point is, Hawkeye is not one of those problems, and in fact, I would say he's, he's one of that movie's strengths. I he's love not. The, I love the idea a, that he has a, a family and this whole other life outside see, the Avengers I, I that he probably cares more about. Why do you hate I, the family? The, it doesn't. It doesn't. I don't feel like it tracks with the character at all. I, I don't think you knew much about the character heading into Age of Ultron. So, right. Well, I, again, I think at that's least part the of cinematic it like, universe version of him. Well, the, I mean, see, some of it's my bitterness because the Matt Fraction Hawkeye is so good. I know. 
that it's just like, no, I want that. That Hawkeye's better. Give me that one. But no, but even kind of discounting that because, you know, then you're kind of getting into the, oh, well, they didn't do it the way that I wanted. Therefore, this right. is wrong. But, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of like it didn't it didn't feel like this. It just kind of came out of nowhere, which I, you know, granted is part of the point. But I just I never believe that this guy has a secret family somewhere. The thing is, is I don't think Renner's version of Hawkeye is really that far from Fraction's version of Hawkeye. It's just the family aspect of it that puts a gulf between those two. But sort of the laid back, maybe not caring about the whole superhero stuff as much as his Avengers teammates do. I think you can find some similarities between those two versions of the character. You you could, but it, it's definitely not what they're interested in presenting. Regardless, I agree with you that he's also Renner. Again, yeah, not in it a ton, but he's really good in Civil War. Right. He's Yeah, he's a lot of fun in there. Uh, um, I'm going to pick two. I'm going to go with Paul Rudd as Ant-Man because Paul Rudd as Ant-Man – Paul Rudd in any, as anybody in anything is right. pretty much wonderful. I mean I, I still just I, – I get goosebumps thinking Paul Rudd is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because right. I've loved him for so long. And they give him Ant-Man and it's – you know, production on the movie's kind of a clusterfuck, but then it turns out to be a really good movie, and then they let him yeah. come play with everybody else. And that scene where he's for their first dragging him out of the van, and he wonders what time zone he's in, and then he's just thrilled he's standing in a parking lot with Captain America. So great. I love the yeah. bits with him shrinking down and sort of infiltrating Tony's suit. Well, I love I love that no one like no one under like knows who he is and understands what's happening, and so like everybody's just confused you know which is great i mean that that's just kind of you know it's one of those things that oh it's ant-man so you just kind of take for granted that everybody else knows him uh but he's not on anybody's radar which is which i thought was really uh, nice tony either doesn't either doesn't know who he is or pretends not to know who he is right, which is right. Good. and then the other person would be uh i'm probably gonna mispronounce his name what is it daniel brule daniel brule yeah Zemo? i was actually gonna bring He's, I wanted to bring him up as my actual second. But this yeah. is my this is he's my I th- believe after Loki he's my second favorite villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe now. I I just love that they took someone who doesn't have superpowers. I think there's some reference to him being a some sort of special forces soldier or something. Yeah, he was a, he was a spec ops type dude. Yeah, but it's basically just this guy who lost his family based on some accidental adventure shenanigans and decides to get revenge not by blowing up a country or killing all these guys but get but get revenge basically the only way he knows how which is you know working as a spy and using what he knows and what he can find out to turn the team against each other but i thought i thought that character was very cleverly written and i thought he was really good in it right yeah he he is he gets it's almost a bare minimum of screen time he's not in it a lot he's not, not in a, it a lot it's not at all a flashy villain Party. No, he's not. He's not monologuing. Like one of my favorite parts of the movie is when, you know, he shows the footage of, you know, of Bucky killing uh, the Starks. And then, you know, Iron Man just loses his shit and then they start fighting and then he just leaves. He's like, all right, that's it. I have mission accomplished. That's it. That's all I needed to do. You know, he doesn't he doesn't make this speech about, you know, you killed my family and, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he just he gets in, he sticks the knife in and he twists it and then he leaves. And, and you get the sense that he doesn't even care what happens to himself after that. Well, he specifically doesn't. I mean, right. he's about to he, he almost 
kills himself. Well, you right, know? right, right, right. So obviously. Right, yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. he literally does not care. He, you know, ruined an empire, uh, as he said. Uh, and then that was it. That, that was little all... last scene with him and Martin Freeman is great. Yeah. Freeman's not in this movie much, man. No, he's really... I, I, I mean, I'm not. Martin Freeman's not a huge star, but you think you'd have to give him a little more screen time. I guess just people just want to be in a Marvel movie. Right, well, his, I mean, his, he knew his buddy Coverbatch was making one, so it's like, ah, get in on yeah. this too. So the Russo brothers will now be directing Infinity Wars one and two, or whatever those films end up being. Right, called. I assume we're related with this too. Oh yeah, I, look, these guys, these guys have a better handle on uh, this universe and these characters than I think anybody that's that's made uh, a Marvel movie to this point but, yeah before this one i would have said uh whedon but now i have no problems with that statement yeah no they these guys just absolutely get it they nail it so yeah bring it on bring on the infinity wars uh can't wait sounds good to me that is going to be the end of this cult spark minicast Stu, thanks for joining me and talking civil war pleasure as always um, please find us on Facebook, on Twitter at Cult Spark, uh, like us on iTunes and we'll be back in a few weeks with a new show. Subscribe on iTunes or anywhere, uh, however you listen to your podcasts and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.